Welcome to the Life Giver Sunday Special. If we truly want to become a life giver in our home and marriage, we have to go to the Creator of life and allow Him to breathe life back into our own heart. The Life Giver Sunday Special is still a place for honest conversation, but it will aim to encourage your faith and restore your soul. Welcome to another Sunday special on the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. Our Sunday specials that come out once a month are a time for us to dive a little bit deeper into questions about our faith, questions about God. And as we dive into deep topics like we have in the past several episodes, like affair recovery, addiction, all of that, it really does cause us to ask good questions about good and evil and our relationship with God. And um, those of you who are believers out there, it really does bring up a lot of really big questions about how do we practice our faith in some of these really difficult circumstances. And as a counselor and as a clinician, that was one of my favorite things to do in sessions was to dive a little bit deeper and wrestle with these questions because I felt like it was just kind of incomplete for us to just talk about the topic and how it affected our life, knowing that um, these big topics like betrayal or addiction, which it can also come across like a betrayal, Um, really does impact our relationship with God and our understanding of ourselves. And so it's incomplete to me to not talk about the theology behind healing, Um, not just our relationship with God, but also our relationship with other people. And so this episode, we are going to dive into um, talking about how our faith is impacted by betrayal and how we can apply scripture um, to the topic of of a fair recovery and ask some of those really big questions that come up for us, especially as Christians, if you are facing betrayal, if you are facing the recovery from that. So um, some of you out there may not have gone through betrayal in your relationship, um, but this still applies because the biggest questions that it brings up in a couple's life are questions like, you know, forgiveness. When do I forgive? How do I forgive? How do I forgive myself? How do I forgive my spouse? And that's a question that comes up regardless of whether or not a big betrayal has happened. That sometimes is a daily question that comes up in our relationship with our spouse. So we're going to be tackling that. We're also going to be talking about spiritual warfare and how the enemy seeks to destroy your relationship and your marriage and how you can be more thoughtful on that. So obviously this episode is only an hour or less, and there's a lot of things that we're not going to be able to get to. Um, but we're going to do the best that we can to at least begin the conversation about how this impacts your walk with God and how your walk with God impacts your marriage so that um, you feel a little bit more equipped to not only handling this in your own marriage and in your own life, but also perhaps in your conversations with other people and helping them navigate these tough questions as well. So I think to begin with, if we're going to address our faith and how our faith um, plays out in our relationship and our marriage, you know, we have to talk about what is marriage and um, and how does God see marriage? And I'm not talking about the political stance of, you know, what is marriage and answering that question. I'm more so talking about how does God see marriage as a way that shapes us and shapes us into better people? Now, I do not believe that you have to be married in order for God to shape you. Um, but I do, because I think that our relationship with people and how we navigate relationships with other people in a much broader sense, whether that's with your family members or friends or neighbors, 
um, that it is in community and in relationship with other people that we see our own selfish desire, that we see sin in our life, that we see how we could be better people, how we need to grow, um, all of those things that we have to wrestle with internally that then makes us um, choose to grow, to seek God out, to seek his word and look into scripture so that we know how to navigate these relationships. Community in general is messy because they are just different kinds of people out there built to see the world in different ways. And God has given them a different set of strengths and talents and weaknesses and all that. And when you put it together, it just gets really messy. And you could go through all of scripture and just see how messy humanity is when you put two or more people together, uh, much less a whole country or the world united, right? It's just messy. So I can clearly see in scripture that in calling us into community with other people is part of God's design in shaping us into better people. That ultimately we see the struggle in it and that we have to seek out God and his wisdom and his guidance in order to navigate that messiness. And that makes us better people. Hopefully it makes us holy um, in the end, not to be confused with perfect or um, exactly like Christ, that we are always striving to become closer to the likeness of Christ. And so that's what he means by um, presenting ourselves as holy, that we are constantly working on ourselves, changing who we are in order to become better and more in the image of God. Now, that being said, this is about how do we approach marriage that way? So um, so yes, you can become a better person and you can grow in likeness with Christ apart from marriage. And there are lots of people that are not called to be married. So um, I'm not saying that you have to be married, but those of us who are called into marriage and are in a marriage, it is almost like community and um, the kingdom under a microscope, because now we have people living in community within a home together add to that children, right? And it's almost like you have this under the microscope um, amount of messiness because we're in close proximity and we're around each other all the time. And we are really um, seeing the ugliness of humanity in each other and hopefully within ourselves as well. And so I see marriage. And one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about marriage work and marriage ministry is that marriage is such an opportunity to shape ourselves it requires so much of, of um, humility and the willingness to change in order for marriage to succeed that God's design behind marriage is that we even more so, if we get it right and do it right, we even more so get to see God at work in our lives um, because we need him desperately in order to do marriage right. There's just too much messiness going on. There's just too much humanity going on for us to not see a need for God in order for, to invite him in to help us navigate how to do it right and do it well, because it's just difficult. It's just hard. So God's design in marriage, yes, is you know there to procreate if he has made that possible in your life. Um, but it's also about navigating two people being shaped more and more and more into the likeness of God. And hopefully, my favorite part is hopefully in the process of all of that, we get to experience God's character um, in a new way. And here's what I mean by that. If we have two people, a husband and a wife, who are built in the image of God, they are not gods themselves, but built in the image of God, then you put them together 
And in my experience of my husband, I get to experience another piece of God's character that I don't have. God speaks to my husband in a completely different way than he speaks to me. God reveals himself in a completely different way with him than he does with me. When Matt shares with me what God is doing in his life, I learned things about God that I would not learn the same way if it was just me by myself. And so one of my favorite things about marriage and the way that I see that God um, really reveals himself in marriage is not just in how he shapes me or how he shapes my husband and then shapes our marriage. But in that process, I also get to experience God's character outside of just my own personal walk with God and what I experience just one-on-one with him. I get to see a little bit more of God's character through my husband. And so we get to experience more of the image of God in a more complete way, like not complete fully, but in a little bit more complete way than if I was just by myself. So I say all of that to say that if marriage is something that shapes us individually, um, or at least is an opportunity to shape us individually into the likeness of Christ, that's number one, but number two, reveals more of God's character so we can understand him better, so that we can um, bring glory to him more, then marriage has the capacity to have incredible influence on the world around us and in the people's lives around us. And that, my friends, is something the enemy does not want to see happen. The enemy does not want to see you become more um, like Christ because then you have more influence. You are more set apart in the world. You are more attractive to the world because you have a hope and a joy and an answer to their suffering. Um, And that makes you highly influential into spreading the word of God and also spreading um, the word on the character of who God is, bringing more people into the fold of having a relationship with God. And the enemy definitely does not want that. The enemy definitely does not also want the world to see more of God's character as good and forgiving and restorative. Because if you are more in the image of God, then you are somebody who is more forgiving, that um, gives mercy when it doesn't make sense to give mercy, that you choose selflessness over selfishness, and that none of those things are things that humans are naturally capable of doing on their own, that those things can only come from something outside of yourself, which is God. And if that gets out there, if the enemy allows that to happen, then more people are going to want that kind of joy, want that kind of um, goodness happening in their life, and they're going to be drawn to God, and the enemy doesn't want that. But also, when your marriage is being restored, and the character of God is on full display from your marriage, and that people look at your marriage and go, that is not possible, except if there was a God. Um, a good example of that is um, the episode that I did with the Murrays, who went through an incredibly challenging season that is actually still continuing for them as they go through their son Drew's um, brain surgery that recently happened and they lost one of their twins at birth. And you look at their life and you go, wow, that is a lot for a couple to go through. I mean, that is something that would rip most couples apart. Um, I see couples who go through raising a child on the spectrum. And that's one of, um, or any special needs when you think about it, even medical special needs. There's plenty of research out there that shows that couples who raise children that have special needs are more prone to divorce than couples who have um, healthy children that aren't navigating those same 
challenges. And so when you look at a marriage like the Murrays and you listen to their story and you realize that they're the only way that they have gotten through and navigated the immense amount of stress and pressure and even at times being challenged in their faith by other people, that the only way that they've gotten through that is through their relationship with God and how they invited God into their marriage, then you, you look at that and go, only God, right? Only God has enabled them to be where they are at. And it's just like, as if God is just radiating out from that family without them even trying. And that's the message that the enemy does not want to get out because you can't look at the Murrays without going, there is a God. And there are marriages I know personally that are out there that have gone through betrayal and infidelity, who've done the hard work, who have invited God to wrestle through the sin in their relationship on both sides. And God has wrestled through the sin in their lives individually, has drawn them close to him, and has made shifts and changes in their marriage that you now look at their marriage and go, there has to be a God. Because that marriage was destined for destruction. And I couldn't have done that, right? People say that. I couldn't have done what that person did. Or I couldn't have stayed with that person for what they did. And, and they think that that person is crazy, right? But God, right? There is no other way to explain it but God, right? So that we have to start with that understanding um, that God designed marriage for a reason, and it's not just for his sake selfishly. He is a jealous God. He knows the end result that if we would follow him, God not only does great things for your life and for your marriage and brings purpose out of your pain, but he also knows it also spreads the hope of that in his relationship that he can have with other people. Um, but that the enemy doesn't want those things to happen. And if we know that there is an enemy, like First Peter talks about, that there's an enemy that seeks to destroy us, that he is out there like wanting to devour um, those that are out there that love God. That's why he wants to devour and destroy your marriage. The enemy is not like this um, cartoon character that seems off and distant and just evil that tempts you to break the Ten Commandments, although I, I definitely know he does do that. But we also need to realize he is incredibly deceptive like an amazing trickster and he is um he twists words and he twists understanding and he manipulates the situation and and in that deep manipulation and in that deep twistedness is his evil like and i want you to see, start looking for how the enemy twists um and whispers things in your ears to um, twist your understanding of what your spouse might be saying to you. Like you're, when your spouse brings you something that says, I, I need you to correct this or this thing bothers me, right? The enemy has a way of taking your spouse's words and just twisting them in your ear to mis help you misunderstand what your spouse is saying. The course correction that your spouse might be giving you might be very good. And in some cases might be course correction that God even wants for your life. And he's speaking through your spouse. But the enemy has a way of twisting it into this thing that you now feel ashamed of and that you get defensive of and, um, and it just twists in your mind. And I want you to start looking for how the enemy is more manipulative and twisting things and is deceptive and how he introduces emotional distance and gaps in your understanding between you and your spouse as a way of pulling the two of you apart to the point that your marriage falls apart. Because really the only thing 
that can hold our marriage together if we're believers. Um, and even if you're not a believer, if you're unsure about any of this, this is just the truth that the enemy, if he can pull you apart slowly until you just find yourself incredibly distant and misunderstood and that you feel like you have nothing left, then he's succeeded in gradually over time, like putting a frog in hot water and then turning or in cold water and then getting it to a place of boiling that over time he gets you to a place where you just give up. That is far more deceptive. And he is he's got he's got lots of time in earth years, if you can think about it that way. Um, he's got lots of patience because he knows that's a good way to twist and pull a relationship apart. And that is his desire. And that sometimes he enjoys doing it that way. It's far more productive than if he just tempts you to break the Ten Commandments and then poof, you know, your relationship falls apart. He knows that a lot of times it doesn't work that way. It's something that he knows he can twist over time. So I think we need to start with the understanding that what is God's desire in marriage And then if that's God's desire and plan for marriage in your life, that the enemy is absolutely against that plan succeeding. And we need to keep those things in mind if we're going to be talking about a fair recovery and the questions that it brings up in our heart and our mind um, theologically and how our faith impacts that. So now addressing how adultery and how infidelity and the recovery of that Um, brings about um, deep questions. So the biggest question, of course, that comes up is forgiveness of how do I forgive? When do I forgive? Um, What is the process of forgiving? That all of those um, questions are normal, that um, and they're very good questions, and there's no easy answer to that. Um, Forgiveness is a big topic when it comes to the wounding spouse learning to forgive themselves. Um, it's about them. Like we talked about in the last episode, if you've not heard the last episode about my strategy for a fair recovery, I'm encouraging you to stop listening to this episode. Now go back and listen to that episode because I'm going to be referencing it. But I talk about, um, what it means to have a penitent heart, what it means for, um, the wounding spouse to be humble, to be able to acknowledge the destruction that they've caused, to feel remorse about that, to feel productive guilt about that. And, um, and there's a fine line between feeling that guilt and feeling that shame. And that wounding spouse is going to really struggle with that if they are really working hard in the process of recovery. Um, and that's hard for, I mean, it's easy for any of us to understand because anytime we do something wrong, it's a fine line of, I did something wrong, I made a mistake, and I'm sorry, to then have that very easily tip into, there's something wrong with me, I am a mistake, Um, woe is me, and that shame is completely unproductive. And if the enemy can twist us into shame, into an unproductive place, then that's a really good route for him. Because um, nothing can save us from shame but ourselves. We are the ones that have to go, okay, this is unproductive. I'm not a mistake. I made a mistake. I need to ask for forgiveness for that. And the productive way for me to do that is to stay humble and to continue to go to my spouse and um, and ask for forgiveness as each layer is exposed um, as far as the woundedness that I have caused. And so we need to understand that that is something that the wounding spouse is wrestling with. What does it mean to be forgiven? What does it mean to ask for forgiveness? And of course, on the wounded spouse's side, it is how do I forgive when something has hurt me this badly and can I forgive? And depending on your circumstances and how 
severe the deception was, um, how bad the betrayal was, how long it lasted. Um, this might take a little bit longer depending on the severity of it. But it is a really good question of how do I forgive somebody for hurting me this much? And does forgiveness mean that I invite this person back into my heart? And, um, and that's a big question that Christians have, right? Because as Christians, we are taught that we forgive that 70 times, you know, seven times 77 is what Jesus says is we should just keep forgiving. And so for me to be a Christian and a Christ follower means that when my spouse has hurt me, I just should keep forgiving. And I have seen this um, swing to an extreme where I've seen even wounded spouses um, continue to allow their spouse to have an affair or from a place of addiction, let's say, continue to make wrong choices and they just keep forgiving without any consequences or boundaries. And that is not what scripture or Jesus has told us to do. So what I'd like for us to do, I'm going to be referencing Luke 17. And if you are someplace where you're at home and you're not driving and you can pause and look this up on your phone or pull um, out your actual Bible, by the way, it's been wonderful for me to use my Bible lately and not just an app on my phone, which is super convenient. Yes. But um, there's something about actually holding the word of God in your hands. Um, but pull open Luke 17. We're going to be um, talking about that scripture that is often misunderstood and I'm going to reveal and point out a couple things that I think is um, super, um, super helpful. So this is a place where um, Jesus is talking with his disciples. He's just finished talking with them about um, the rich man. And so they're just really asking some theological questions here. And um, in, ver in chapter 17, verse 1, we're going to stop um, at verse 4. So we're really only going to be just camping out and zeroing in those first four verses. But um, so I'm going to read through it first, and then we're going to kind of pull it apart. So um, chapter 17, verse 1 says, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Now, it is in a later scripture that Jesus talks about the how many times should I keep forgiving? Seven times 77, right? But this is another place where he's using that number seven. Um, seven comes up a lot in scripture as a number that is complete, um, very similar to the number three that often references the Trinity as being complete. Um, and so he's basically saying um, you should continue to forgive your brother if he comes to you, um, even though he may continue to sin. But let's zero in on this just a little bit. So let's go back to verse one. He says, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. So let's stop there. What he's saying there is um, there's the, there is a carnal nature in us as humans that we can't keep ourselves from sinning. It is something that we will always wrestle with. There will always be things that happen in life, whether it's the enemy or life or some insecurity within us or just our carnal nature, that we are not God. We are not Jesus that is perfect. And we will always struggle with sin. And that's number one. And when we reference um, recovery in marriage and we talk about, and Seitzma talks about how marriages have been restored even after betrayal. And they have an even deeper, richer, um, more 
um, secure marriage than they ever had before. It's not that they want to go back and relive that again and, and that they're glad that the betrayal happened. But there's something about um, betrayal and other things that this can happen in your marriage through other things. Our hope is that this happens without some destructive sin in your marriage. And this is a wake up call to all of us. If you've not gone through betrayal, that if you can learn this lesson now, then you might even prevent um, that kind of destruction from happening in your life. That that betrayal, um, what it does is it bursts this bubble. It bursts this illusion that when we are we get married and we have um, vowed to be with our spouse till death do us part. Um, and we're vowing all kinds of things, you know, depending on what you said in your vows. But we're basically promising our spouse that we're not going to leave them. We're going to be loyal to them. We're not going to hurt them, let's say, which is I hope we're not saying that because that's impossible to to um, succeed at never hurting our spouse. But that's part of the illusion. I think sometimes we get married and we go, OK, this person is safe. This person's never going to hurt me. They're never going to break my heart. Um, they're never going to do this or that or this or that. The problem is that that's not sustainable because we are human beings and we married a flawed human. And Jesus is even saying in this verse that things, um, things that cause people to sin are bound to come like sin happens. It's not escapable. And a lot of times marriages go through years and years and years and a big betrayal hasn't happened. But every day sin is happening through selfishness through holding on to resentment by choosing pride over choosing selflessness. Like there's so many what we would call little sins or silent sins that we're not addressing and we're not talking about. And that when betrayal happens, though, it bursts that bubble and it's not something that we can ignore anymore. We are married to a human being that has so many flaws and we see them now as a sinful person. And that is devastating. And we now have lost the foundation, but it's not that We've lost the marriage necessarily. We've lost the illusion that this person is as safe as I thought that they were. It turns out they're not safe. And guess what? You're not safe either because every day we're tempted to be selfish. Every day we are tempted to sin in some small way. And so betrayal just happens to be where all of the consequences of that building up over time suddenly are revealed and we realize just what kind of destruction can happen when we've not been paying attention to that. So these marriages that have gotten to a place of restoration, they have a more rich, secure marriage because that illusion is gone and they now see that person as sinful, but they also see themselves as sinful and they rebuild their marriage from that place, from a real place of realizing that you're not safe, but um, we also know now that we can't do this without God. And now we are actually going to turn to God to help us in our sinfulness. And now we have a new different marriage. And so Jesus there is saying sin is going to happen. Life is going to happen that brings that temptation from sin. And we cannot escape that. And he, um, he goes on to say, but woe to that person through whom they come. And I love this, this sentence because what he's drawing our attention to is the person who has given in to that sin. He's basically calling our sympathy. He's, he's basically calling us to have empathy for just a moment. That that person that gives in to sin, that says, I'm going to walk down that road, um, he's going, whoa, to that person. 
Like they have no idea that they're giving into this lifestyle of sin and into these choices that are going to lead to destruction. He says it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck. That the weight that that brings to their life, the destruction that they are causing, um, they have no idea of the consequences of their behavior. And it just makes you pause for just a moment that if you are that wounded spouse, it is normal for the wounded spouse to hold in one hand deep anger and sadness and um, distance, a feeling of needing to feel distant and far away from their spouse who's hurt them. And at the same time, sympathy um, and empathy of seeing your spouse as somebody who is um, who has given into that temptation to sin and has caused great destruction. And so when I have couples that are trying to navigate, when do I open my heart? And the question that I brought up in the last episode of, of when do I decide to draw close and be intimate with my spouse again in a fair recovery, it's a hard question to answer because some couples who are doing things the right way in recovery, who have got a wounded spouse, who is, um, who is managing all of these emotions and not um, angrily um, causing destruction herself, and I've got maybe a husband, let's say the husband is the wounding spouse, who is, who's got that humility and that penitent heart, who's doing all the hard work to build that trust back. You know, that's where I hear that wounded spouse going, I'm see, yes, I'm angry and I'm sad, but at the same time, I'm seeing my best friend as completely destroyed in their own sin, that, that they made these choices, that they're now in a terrible place and they're experiencing the consequences. And I, I feel sad for that person. Like, woe to that person that I love so much. And it draws them closer to them um, to wondering, should I forgive that person? Should I be a part of his healing too? Um, What does it mean to draw alongside of him and work on this together? Because forgiveness is obviously at some point going to be a big part of his recovery too, of the recovery of his soul. And so that's where you have couples that even in the midst of chaos and crisis of an affair being revealed, that if they're doing all the right things, it's amazing and it can only be explained by God that somebody could even draw close to a person that's hurt them. If that makes sense to you guys that are listening out there, that in their humility and in their brokenness, there's something about seeing that in your spouse that draws you close to them. And then we have to navigate for the wounded spouse, like, how close do I draw near to that person? And does that mean I need to forgive them? And, and that's where I want us to go next. So Jesus goes on. He is talking about, you know, especially, you know, it's better for them to be thrown into the sea than for him to cause any one of these little ones to sin. So he's basically in that place talking about when he's saying little ones, he's talking about those that are young in faith, those who are just beginning to understand God um, because it is so they're so vulnerable and it's so dangerous um, that you can really twist a person's understanding of God and of love and of um, just so many fundamental things in their spiritual formation if somebody um, does something destructive to those little ones in faith, those young ones in faith, um, that he's saying that's a pretty severe thing. So he goes on to say, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. This is so, so important. I know as Christians, you know, we are taught that we should keep forgiving seven times 77, just this endless 
um, ability to forgive. And yes, that is true. Um, but that doesn't mean that it is a blanket forgiveness without boundaries. Um, God has boundaries. Jesus had boundaries with himself and with other people, and we should learn from those boundaries. And he is showing us these boundaries in this scripture right here. He's saying, if your brother sins, and that means if your spouse sins, rebuke him. So let's stop there. What does it mean to rebuke? Rebuke means to correct. It means to reveal the truth. It means to um, it means to hold that person accountable. That it is okay in our marriage and a good thing, an important thing, a thing that shapes you and shapes your spouse in your marriage. That when you see your spouse doing something wrong or even tempted to do something wrong or going down a path that's sinful, Jesus is saying, rebuke him. If you don't say anything, then they're going to continue to go down that path. This is an important part of the relationship. Point out the truth. And so some of you out there see your spouse doing something and you don't want to start an argument. You don't want to have more fights. You don't want to. But rebuking is a very important part of the process that we must bring the truth and say to our spouse, this is not something that's okay in the relationship. It's not okay for you to speak to me this way. It's not okay for you to treat me this way. And those of you that are recovering from an affair may find yourself in a place where daily in the beginning, you're having to say, this is not okay, or that's not okay. It's not okay for you to speak to me that way. It's not okay um, for you to um, go to the grocery store and then not go to the grocery store when you're trying to earn trust back. Um, we have to learn to be able to speak the truth in our marriage in kindness and that that's part of the process. So number one, if somebody sins, and we're applying this to marriage, rebuke them, correct them, hold them accountable in kindness. And there is um, other places in scripture that even talks about different ways that you can hold um, somebody accountable. And then he goes on to say, and if he repents, forgive him. Having a penitent heart and asking for forgiveness is a huge component in the relationship to issuing forgiveness. Yes, there is a whole other conversation of what do you do and how do you forgive internally a person who refuses to repent. But when you are recovering from an affair or a betrayal or sin causing destruction in your marriage, um, repentance has to be a huge piece of that. In order to move forward in forgiveness and in order to get your, your heart in a place where you can start to open up again and rebuild your marriage, Repentance has to be a huge part of that. And sometimes repentance follows a rebuking, follows that correction. And this is a place, this is a higher standard that's so hard for me too. This is daily difficult for me. It's so hard when your spouse brings something to you that he, he or she wants you to correct and change in your life to not get defensive. It's so hard to accept that correction and go, I hear that. I need to work on that in my life. Please forgive me for the damage that I've caused. That's really, really hard to do. Um, but that correction is important. Our repentance of saying, I'm sorry, I did something wrong is huge. And then the third step is for your spouse to forgive you. And those of you who are in a fair recovery, and if you are the wounded spouse, that rebuke is important. Their repentance is important, but that forgiveness is going to be very hard to consider if that repentance isn't there. And if your spouse, who is the wounding spouse, has not 
apologized or doesn't have a penitent heart or who hasn't repented, then it may not be the right time for you to forgive. And that goes kind of against what I think is in the Christian culture that just says you should just forgive. No, Jesus is clearly actually saying that repentance is a big part of that. Now, the next question then is, well, once we've had that interaction and my spouse has said, I'm sorry and please forgive me and I've maybe, you know, it's okay for you to go, I, I need to get my heart to a better place where I can forgive, but I'm willing to at least consider it. It's okay to, for you to be at a place. It's also okay if you need more time, but it's okay for you to be at a place where you issue forgiveness in that moment for what you can forgive. Um, but that forgiveness is multi-layered. That's why it's also important in a fair recovery that the wounding spouse not ask for repentance only one time. This is going to be an ongoing experience of um, lots of triggers, lots of insecurity, um, lots and lots of messiness going on in the relationship. And so you're going to have many, many times, there's many layers and opportunities for the wounding spouse to recognize the consequences and the destruction that he or she has caused, that you're living out and seeing those consequences each day, whether it is distance that you're feeling with each other, whether it is the consequence of, you know, the wounded spouse saying, I can't even go to the grocery store because I feel like I'm going to run in, into the person that you had an affair with, right? That's a consequence. Um, that the wounding spouse has to accept on a daily basis of seeing those consequences. And each of those is a new layer to have a penitent heart and repent over, to bring back to your your wounded spouse to say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I made it difficult for you to now go out into the community without running into this person. And that that is now hard for you and it limits you and it's every day an opportunity for you to be tempted to be angry with me and resentful and i'm so sorry that i caused that consequence in your life will you forgive me that ongoing repentance allows the wounded spouse to have ongoing opportunities to forgive and that is how you restore a marriage from betrayal and how you restore a marriage from sin it is the ongoing experience in our marriage of rebuke, repentance, and forgiveness. And all three of those need to be present. Jesus in verse four goes on to say, if he sins against you seven times in a day, which is a lot, right? None of us wants to be in a relationship with someone that continues to hurt us. But again, our illusions have been, um, that bubble has been burst now, right? And we recognize that we are married to a fully flawed person who maybe even more than seven times a day can cause some level of destruction if they choose any level of selfishness, right? If he sins against you seven times in a day, and then he says, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. And notice he says, if, right? Um, If he sins against you in a day, and then seven times comes back and repents. So this is conditional, right? If somebody is causing destruction in your relationship and there is no humility and no repentance then there should be a boundary there right that's where rebuking comes in and accountability comes in i mean even god has boundaries even god when we choose to sin and there is no repentance he goes 
there's a consequence for that. And the consequence is that there is distance in our relationship and you're going to feel alone because you're not going to be close to me and you're not going to feel my presence. And marriage is very similar to that image of God. Two people coming together, going back to what we said in the beginning, two people coming together in marriage is a more, um, a more complete image of God's character. And so when you have in your marriage somebody who continues to be in sin without a repentant heart that does not take rebuke, it's not that we should just forgive anyways. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if somebody sins, because at the very beginning he said that sin is going to happen, it's just part of human nature, but that when sin happens, the if is actually conditional on the fact that if that person repents, that's the important part of the process. Sin is going to happen, right? That's what he said. But if they have a repentant heart, and that repent doesn't just mean a blanket, I'm sorry. In fact, um, Matt and I have been convicted for a very long time, and we still give in to saying I'm sorry a lot, um, but we try to more often say, will you forgive me, which forces you into a place of repentance than just I'm sorry. So if there is a level of repentance that is actually asking for forgiveness in a real way, then in our marriage, we are called to forgive our, our spouse. Because they are coming to you with humility. They are coming to you from a place of, I want to right this wrong. And if sin is going to always be there, if it's going to happen, it's inescapable, then marriage then, this is the exciting part, marriage then is about opportunities for forgiveness. It is about repentance and forgiveness. Um, sometimes we get to a place in our marriage where it has become, the focus has become more about the sin in our lives. It's all the things that our spouse does that we don't like. And our focus ends up being on what we don't like about our spouse when the better focus of marriage is about um, the constant focus of, am I somebody that can ask for forgiveness and accept rebuke from my spouse? And can I be somebody that forgives? That is a whole other focus of marriage in general. But applied to a marriage that has been broken by betrayal, Something that God has even given you grounds to walk away from the marriage. He has given you permission based on scripture that if your marriage has gone through an affair, that if you choose to leave that relationship, that um, he doesn't hold that against you, that, that your spouse has broken the moral code of marriage. And therefore, um, it, is, it is spiritually permissible for you to divorce. If you are with a spouse who refuses to repent, refuses to have a penitent heart, um, that when you rebuke them, chooses to stay in sin, there is grounds for you to have better boundaries with that person. And the natural consequences for the destruction that they are causing in your marriage, the natural consequences that mirror our relationship with God, actually, is further separation. And so for those of you out there that are recovering from an affair and you are with a spouse that has not repented or refuses to continue to have a, a repentant heart, and it's hard for you to forgive because they're not in a place of drawing closer to you or trying to right those wrongs, that it is natural for you to be separate from them. It is natural for you to feel distant from them, that God has given you grounds to continue to distance your life from them with healthy boundaries. And sometimes that looks like separation. Sometimes that can eventually lead to divorce. 
that if you're especially in an unsafe relationship, that that definitely includes distance that looks like divorce and keeping you in a safe place, that God himself allows distance when somebody is not repentant. But God is also saying, and this is what's beautiful, that when you have a brother, meaning your spouse in front of you, that does have that repentant heart, that is recognizing their need for God and their need for your forgiveness, that it forces you in phase two, especially like we talked about in the last episode, it forces you to examine your own heart and see that you are just as able to sin that you also have a carnal nature, that you are just as flawed as your spouse, and you are just as much in need of grace and forgiveness from them as well, that it makes you want to draw closer to them. And that's what leads you to a place of forgiveness, that when we strip away that illusion, we are two human beings that are deeply flawed, deeply in need of each other's forgiveness. And guess what? We cannot do that without God's help because our selfish desire, our sinful nature wants to do the opposite, which is to sin in our anger, to be resentful, um, to take it out on that person, to do all of the opposite things that God would want us to do. And so we need God. God. God is the only entity that can teach us to forgive and love when we would otherwise want to hurt or be revengeful or resentful or prideful or selfish or self-seeking. We need God in order for this whole thing to work. And that's how you restore a relationship over time. It is a constant walking through rebuke, forgiveness, repentance, humility. And that's how you develop a more rich marriage. And so this is the message to all of us, regardless of if you have been through something significant in your marriage or not, whether you are just walking into marriage as a newlywed or whether you've been married for 50 years, whether you've experienced betrayal, or whether you haven't. The calling of marriage should be more about how do I see myself as a flawed, sinful human being that left to my own devices is going to cause destruction for myself and others around me. That I need to draw near to a God who has given me not only a moral code, but incredible amounts of wisdom throughout his word to help direct my life so that I can cause as little destruction as possible. But at the end of the day, because I'm a human being and not a God, I'm still going to cause destruction anyways in the relationships around me, whether it's with my spouse or my children or my neighbors or my family members or any, anything else. And so therefore I need a God and I need to draw near to that God as much as possible and as close as possible so that I know how to navigate it. Because if it's up to me, I'm not going to forgive because that's too vulnerable. That's too hard to forgive. But when I draw close to him, I can't help but forgive other people because I need that forgiveness from God as well. And because I need it from God, I will also see my opportunities to ask for my spouse to forgive me as well because I need that forgiveness from him as well. So I know that that's a lot of deep think and I know that that um, is a lot to take in. But I hope that it encourages you. I hope that it challenges you. I hope it convicts you. Those of you who are going through a fair recovery, I hope it casts vision for how you walk through this on a daily basis. Um, I just want to remind you that, you know, depending on your circumstances, this could look different depending on the severity of the sin in your marriage. Um, But I hope that those of you who are recovering are able to navigate the question of forgiveness. How do you forgive? When do you forgive? 
Um, and what circumstances do you forgive? There's plenty of more scripture that addresses forgiveness. And I think we have to go to all of those places and really study that forgiveness. Um, and that um, it is in the word of God coming from the source himself that we understand forgiveness, especially as it relates to even forgiving ourselves. So I hope that this encouraged you somehow. Thank you guys for listening. I would love to hear your feedback on any of the episodes that I put out. Um, thank you for spreading the word on the podcast. I depend on you to do that, to keep it sponsor free. Um, and I hope you guys have a really great rest of your day. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to the Life Giver podcast. If you're enjoying these conversations as being free of advertising or sponsorship, please help me by spreading the word to other military and first responder families that might benefit from the show. If you'd like to find out more about me or Life Giver, you can find more information at www.coryweathers.com or life-giver.org.